Hello, listeners. Welcome to our sixth episode stream, only to be known as the No See Feel the Market, a place where we talk about everything related to the stock market. Please, I'm your host, Everson. Traders with me, we have Max and Patrick. Uh, please keep in mind that this stream is for entertainment purposes only. Any information gathered from this stream should be solely used as a primary source, uh, should not be solely used, excuse me, as a primary source of trading in the stock market and that any or all of investable assets are subject to loss of some or all of your income. Uh, please leverage your risk carefully in this rather strange times. Uh, looking at the market, I mean, you know, I'll just start off right out, right out from the bat, uh, you know, analogy that Max had continued last week. Uh, I want to talk about that surfing analogy and how the business cycle has a direct correlation between how it is. I don't know if listeners surfed before or had many kind of experience with surfing, but I'm sure they've seen some movies. Yeah, if you ever see the surfing movie or some kind, but as you're catching a wave, uh, you know, I just experienced this. Uh, whether it be a longboard or a shortboard, it's easier to catch waves with a longboard. But I envision that this stock market is sort of like being on a longboard and you see the wave coming. And you, you, you know that if you start paddling now, if you start investing now, you could catch that wave, but you have to start at that, at that right moment. And so that's where I see it. And I'll bring in the business cycle where, where it comes to the peak to trough and kind of explain how that cycle works. Now, in a business cycle, when, you, when you're talking about a trough to a peak, it's the zigzag patterns that you see on a chart. This will help you to be able to understand the market a little bit. And, and you guys can chime in at any time if you'd like to. But what we're seeing right now is we're seeing expansion, kind of an artificial expansion because I think it's, the 2.3 or 2.2 trillion dollars that's coming in from the federal government. Now we've seen that expansion to peak. Stocks have to trend down eventually, which is called a contraction. A contraction goes into the trough. So what we see is the cycle of waves that come in, or otherwise known as the zigzag patterns. So looking into this, how do you know when's the right time to buy, when the right time is to sell? Well, Max, Patrick, and I, we, we looked at the indexes. So you can look at things uh, related to the economy, like the mortgage. You can look at the consumer good index. So this is what we call indexes for a lot of these, S&P 500, the NASDAQ, which is a comp uh, compiling of uh, different companies. Uh, NASDAQ would be technology companies majority. S&P 500 uh, would be more of the, like consumer goods. Uh, Dow Jones would be your industry uh, companies, and there's many, many more. So we look at these index stocks to sort of give us a mindset on a fundamental basis uh, on whether we should be investing in that area or not. Um, what are some examples? I mean, I'll start off with you, Patrick. What, what, are, you, what are you seeing in the market? Uh, I know you've been pretty big with the oil companies. Uh, you see anything in that area that kind of gives us an indication of these indexes? Uh, the relationship between the index and oil, uh, I'm not honestly quite sure about that. I know that right now the oil market is very, very in turmoil. So what I can say is that they got into an agreement this week, but it's very, very thin 
uh, it's not very solid. They've been back and forth with that agreement, right? And Saudi Arabia pulled back the last time. Yeah, so basically what's good is that any cooperation for the oil market is better than none, right? Than the war that they were having. But the problem is that with Mexico holding out, with the G20 not really cutting that much themselves, it's the, the amount of um, oil consumption that was destroyed with the pandemic is a lot higher than their expected cuts. So they were talking about, like, the use of gasoline is down about 30%, which is more than the uh, 10, 15 million barrels that they want to cut. So I, I made this mistake last week um, in my own trades. I, I, I didn't think about the fact that almost no matter what agreement they were having, the market would react negatively and think that it wasn't enough. So right now the barrel is down 12% as of filming this over the weekend. So even though it's like an historic agreement, almost no matter what they were going to do, the market was going to react negatively to it. So that's a mistake I made. Uh, I, I bet, not bet, but you know, in my calculations, I, I thought that it would kind of break even, like it would not account for a bigger increase because it had gone up already uh, when uh, the president tweeted that he was trying to get into an agreement with them. So I, I thought that it would stay stable after that, but I didn't account for the fact that like the expectations for the meeting were so high that it was almost impossible to meet those expectations. And that's why we're seeing it drop again. And but how could those expectations be so high when Trump just tweeted, you know, tell me 10 million barrels reduction and, you know, actually the U.S. oil actually popped. And now yeah. that it's actually concrete approved, um, that 10 million barrels is not enough now? Yeah, because all of the analysts believe that the destruction of the consumption is 20 to 25 billion, uh, not billion, sorry, million barrels. So the 10 to 15 million is going to help curb that, but it's not going to be enough. So I was looking at the numbers this week. Uh, currently, the storage in the U.S. is about 55% used. So if they bring in more oil and the, uh, the cuts aren't more significant, like the level is going to keep going up. And what the analysts are worried about is that if in a few months we reach capacity, well, then they won't have anywhere to sell the oil. So then they, the only thing that they could do would be to crash the price and sell as low as possible to get rid of it. You know, so I that's where we the, are now. Uh, you know, I look at the, you know, levels. Uh, I don't know if you, you mentioned this, but, uh, over over some research, I've seen that we United States is making about maybe 14 million uh, barrels per day. So it's a it's a heavy reduction from the price that we were producing at uh, e even last month. Um, I I tend to look at the solvency of each oil company or companies that's tied to uh, the oil industry, oil and natural gas. Um, for you home gamers. Uh, you calculate the solvency rate by the total debt divided by the total shares of equity. So if, you, if you're trying to find out what the solvency rate is. Uh, so basically what the solvency uh, rate is, is a demonstration of whether they'd be able to have enough equity to uh, 
fund themselves minus the debt that they owe. So would they be able to stay in business? Um, that's an important number. Uh, I, I'd use that as a calculation if you're planning on investing in a stock for the long run. Um, might may or may not matter if you're doing a short trade. Uh, you know, the solvency rate, I'm pretty sure, is pretty uh, deteriorating when it comes to pharmaceutical stocks just because of the way their, their platform base is. It's not like any other company. I think, Max and Patrick, you, you've said that you, uh, you can both agree that the pharmaceutical company is a, not something that you guys did good at. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, um, but I, I mean, I've, I've gotten bit by the oil companies before. So I, you know, uh, by not looking at the solvency rates. Uh, so just, just be smart about it. Um, you know, understand where we are in the curve with that. How about, uh, we'll get back with you, Patrick, but I wanted to jump in with Max. Um, have you seen anything in the indexes as far as, you know, the business cycle and, and kind of creating some explanation of what's going on in this crazy, strange world? Uh, so, I mean, just, I, I like to go through the indexes just to see, like, uh, you know, where are the bulls putting their money? Where are the bears, you know, taking out their money? Um, right. and, and what jumped out, and I think we had a little bit of a conversation about this uh, earlier, is uh, utilities uh, looks pretty solid right now. And, you know, I'm trying to create a thesis as to why. Um, and a big part of that is like what Patrick was talking about. The energy cost is down. You know, oil is cheap. Natural gas is dropping. True. Um, right. And so these utilities now are basically producing more energy at a cheaper cost. Why? Because everyone's home right now. Absolutely. You know, so a lot and that's of people kind of are like using... what I was talking about last uh, uh, podcast. I think I had I, I I hadn't really gone into jumping into any companies in particular, but I sort of had that sentiment. But you bring things into perspective by mentioning about that uh, gas prices, the oil prices being at an all time cheap. So, I mean, we'll be able to have um, home heating oil at a really good price this year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was a great call by you last week. And uh, and, and there's another example why. We, we do a lot of research. We try to prepare ourselves for our own trading. And then here we are. We're willing to share that information with you guys. And Everson make it, made a great call. If you guys took action on that, uh, I think you guys would have had a nice pop and a pretty stable um, investment in this, this chaotic period. The other thing that really stood out to me is, um, is tech is definitely looking stronger than the rest uh, of the sectors. Wait, did you um, say tech? Tech, I did. I said tech. I didn't say AMD. I said tech. Did you say AMD? <laughs> well, so, you know, if you guys want AMD, go ahead with that. But uh, And I think a big reason tech is looking pretty good is a lot of people are working from home. So that's a lot of software. Absolutely. And in fact, I was listening to some of uh, the CEOs that uh, of companies that create um, cybersecurity. Their um, contracts are actually expanding now because all these uh, these online platforms, applications that are designed for home users, they're getting tremendous growth. They need to expand their servers and they need more protection, especially, right. you know, a great example of that is Zoom. You know, Zoom, they were overloaded right. with uh, with usage and they mm -hmm. were exposed for a few uh, cyber attacks, uh, right. which weren't that pretty. Uh, if you guys mm -hmm. don't know about that, maybe you'll do a little bit of research. Um, some of the meetings were interrupted with some... Uh, indecent pictures and comments we we, um, we see into the stocks also we we saw a little pop lock and drop it well some break moves <laughs> over there all right yeah 
<laughs> so uh, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at. The utilities are showing some great strength. And the reason why I'm saying that is if, you, uh, if you're looking at the utilities and uh, my index that I'm looking at is XLU. I've seen um, that utilities. Uh, yeah. So for you home gamers, this is an ETF based on the uh, utility stocks. And the so it actually broke above its uh, support with tremendous momentum. Um, it looks pretty strong. So that new resistance, the support was broken. Now it becomes a resistance. Um, it's pretty strong because it has three points of contact on the daily chart, not the hourly chart, the daily chart. So that's pretty strong. Um, and then you basically have the, uh, a mirroring effect on the tech sector. Uh, so that's what I saw going through the sectors uh, that were interesting to me. So I wanted to talk about a little, little bit about uh, in indexes that I you know, uh, visited over this portion uh, of time this week. On a 30-year mortgage rate, we're at a 3.49%. I, I think that we could go as low as... Uh, 3.25, if not at 3%. Uh, Max mentioned before the show had started that the minimum of what banks would uh, would allow would be about a 2, 2.5%, only because there there's commission fees and paperwork to be able to, to push through. And then obviously, you know, banks have to be able to make their money uh, to make these, these trades worth it. Um, and that's understandable, but uh, you know, I, I think we can see closer to to three three percent, even under. Uh, but we just have to see how this cycle goes. Uh, a good headway into that, I think, if we looked at the uh, labor statistics, this is according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, website. Uh, we're we're looking at March or actually April the third. The numbers for uh, for the actual is four point four. It was forecast that it'd be at 4%, so a little better than expected on the labor report. Um, so this is in relation to the unemployment rate, right? Uh, so looking forward to May, uh, from previous expectations of 4.4, which was the actual, we're looking at a TE forecast of 12.5 in May, that's a percent. And then in June, they're looking at a 15% um, T forecast. And so how that breaks down is if we look at these numbers and we compare it to the uh, last time we've seen an unemployment rate of these these kinds was back in the 1900s, 1920s, uh, 1970s, 1980s. Uh, and, and obviously it's different from state to state, but this is just an overall of uh, the United States nation average. So 15 percent is actually a pretty big deal, uh, you know, 15 percent of our entire population here in the United States being unemployed. Uh, but needless to say, I think that after this quarantine is up, we'll see a fluctuation in numbers. So I, I think we get a better than expected growth in the stock market when, when the numbers start to come up. Because if I had to justify anything as far as the, the stock market going up, it could have been the job numbers. I mean, we, we predicted a 0.4 percent is almost a half a percentage point of uh, mis-expectations. So if you allocated that that number uh, as a factor, why why not, you know, be a little bullish in, in that time? It's, it's positive news. We expected worse. We got less. Um, and then as far as the solvency rate, as, as far as the unemployment numbers, being able to pay out the uh, 
the expenses that's consistent with uh, paying out unemployment. We look at about 20 states that aren't able to pay out the minimum uh, solvency level, but that's where we reach out to the $2.2 trillion uh, available by the federal government. And then also uh, private funding that comes in to be able to fill out all of those loose holes. Believe it or not, Vermont, Oregon, and Wyoming are the top three states. Uh, and they have they have more than enough money to be able to cover their own. So uh, kudos to those states. <laughs> if you live in those states, then you're, you're solid. You're taken care of. Um, I guess moving from here, let's let's look at trades. What do we what do we trade with this this week? Well, start actually, off before we move on, I did want oh, yeah, to talk ahead. a little bit more about that the the mortgage rates. And so yeah. you said that uh, the mortgage rates are at what three four three three what is three yeah three point four nine percent. So does that mean I should just go running and then get a get a new house right now while the interest rates are low? I mean, is this the maybe an unfixed, the one week? Yeah, maybe if you got a maybe if you buy an arm. So you know, I do have some friends that went out and actually bought a house before they had planned to. You know, a couple of people had they were planning to buy a house for themselves in the next year, maybe two years, but just because the interest rates were low, they went right. out and bought a house. There are and a lot of refinances too. Yeah, uh, refinancing, I could see that, but to buy a house just because the interest rates are low before your plan said to, um, I was trying to explain to them that the interest rates aren't gonna go higher in the next year, maybe two years. I mean, can you see a situation where our economy is back to being really strong, where the Fed starts increasing interest rates and uh, mortgage rates start going up in the next six to eight months, um, no. that might be a little bit far-fetched. So that's why I wanted to expand on that. Just because the interest rates are low right now doesn't mean people should go out and buy a house right now. Refinancing would be a good option. But uh, I feel like we're going to have low interest rates for quite a while. I think right now would probably be a good time to buy on, on levels of being able to negotiate a good value. Remember, I mean, not only in the in the Aside from the stock market world, your, your big time business business minds, they make money off of the deal. So the money is made in the deal. I heard it said once. Right. Uh, so when you buy when you go out there and you buy a car, you buy a car, the same car that uh, person number A buys a car for. But they sell it to person number A for about 20, 10 to 20 grand less the value. Uh, and then when you go and you buy a car, you're, you're buying it for, you know, 10, 20 grand more. What makes that person so different from the relationship that you you've created? Well, they they maybe got to a point where they had to sell that car at that price, or or maybe they just had some wiggle room, but they thought that you know, based upon how many times you've bought a vehicle, that they could take advantage of you. So the 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 real money is made out of the deal, and I think that we're getting to levels where you're not you're not getting a lot of people that have money to just throw down on a house, throw down on a car. So to to make for companies to be able to make a deal, they're at levels where they may be a little more desperate than others, especially your smaller companies. And it's unfortunate to take advantage of people at, at times like these or companies at times like these. But in, in essence, you're actually helping them. Uh, Macy's did it best uh, and. I, I didn't want to get into it, uh, talking about stocks right away, but I mean, perfect example, right? Getting to uh, talk about Macy's. 
Macy's has always gone from troubled times. Uh, we talk again from peak to trough, right? That they're at their trough, they're at their lowest. They they've contracted way down to levels where they're they're needing to consolidate and maybe even restructure. Is uh, we know it, their stores are closed. Their physical locations are closed. I, I don't know about other states, but here in Hawaii, no Macy's is open. Um, you, you can't go down to Macy's and, and pick up clothes or anything. Uh, with that being said, they, Macy's has always been able to get themselves out of the rut. I don't know what it is, but they've always been able to get themselves out of the rut. Uh, and if you look at the stock, I mean, back, I think it was like about five years back or maybe even six years back, uh, it was trading at levels of about $70 per share. I mean, down from its lows, the lows are under $20 per share. If you would have been an investor in Macy's about, about five, six years ago, you would have done famous. And so when I'm looking at Macy's and their ability to bounce back and restructure, I'm, I'm actually going to say that I'm a buyer at Macy's, uh, you know, moving into uh, the next, maybe, I mean, I, I know that they had problems with that brick and mortars. I mean, Max, you talked about that, uh, you know, on prior episodes. But, I mean, depending on how the, the restructuring goes with Macy's, I think we can see some positive. I, I do want to state the negative about, uh, about the deal with investing in Macy's. I think it was the CFO for, for Macy's. But then again, you got a lot of CEOs and CFOs that are quitting all over the place. So you got a lot of transferring going on. But uh, you wanted to talk about anything else as far as the, the mortgage is concerned? Uh, no, that was about it. I wanted to expand a little bit on, on Macy's. Um, it does look like it keeps hitting a, a ceiling, a support, a little bit over $7. So yeah. if it breaks yeah. above that $7, would be a great time to, uh, to do a little swing trade. Um, but the other thing is, it doesn't scare you that Macy's is no longer part of the S&P 500? Well, I mean, the S&P 500 will always protect its, its index, right? So when they look at the price value of stocks, I mean, when they look at the, um, the sentiment of growth and just right now, it's not, it's not relevant for, you know, Macy's to be a part of the S&P 500 because they don't see it as a top, top earner anymore. I mean, like five, six years back, it was a, a phenomenal performer, but it's, it's reached its peak. It's a trough moment for them. And, you know, it, it, until they can prove their levels of expansion there, I'd probably do the same thing if I was S&P 500. Well, I'm, so it makes sense. But the reason why um, it, it makes me hesitant to get into Macy's, like you're saying, you're a buyer, is because now it's out of the 500, the S&P 500. Therefore, right. less people will look at it. Um, right. You know, there's there's some ways to, to look at what stock to to look at. I mean, um, one way I used to do it is just uh, look at all the stocks in the Dow. And every day I would go through every single right. stock in the Dow and I would look for specific patterns. Uh, some people will actually look at, you know, the top 500 uh, in the S&P and they would go that direction. Like, Patrick, how did you come up with the, the 25 stocks that you, you sort of monitor? How did you come up with that list? Was it based off the Dow or the S&P? Or... Patrick, how do you monitor 25 different stocks? Yeah, it's a little bit of a combination <laughs> of things. I started out by uh, picking stocks that interested me, like companies that you know I use or that I have an interest in, and also companies that I feel are really good in their sector. So I kind of like 
add to it over time. And I think that's one of the main things that I recommend new investors to do is pick a few stocks. It's impossible to monitor the entire stock market. Right. It's too difficult. There's too many news. There's too many reports and everything. So start small. Start with a handful of stocks that you care about and learn about them and then add over time. So for me, of course, there's oil, there's commodities, and then there's a few other stocks in each category. Like, for example, I like golf, so I follow Callaway, right? And it's something that I have an interest in uh, knowing how they're doing and like the ups and downs based on the market. So it's just little stuff like that. That's how I do it. Other people, I might have other ways, but it keeps me interested in following them. Are the golf courses open? Usually they are, as far as I know. Uh, they have some special rules where uh, they don't let people ride in the same cards uh, around here, like where I am. Okay. So that's reassuring. I joke with you when I reiterated, when I reiterated, sorry, what Max has said about the 25 different stocks. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Patrick. I, I invest in, I actually invest in a lot more than. 25. I, I probably have investments in about 50 different stocks. Um, Every day, Everson comes up with a stock we don't know anything about. You currently <laughs> have 50 positions. I, I currently do. Yeah. Wow. I, I look at, I have a dividend strategy that I've developed and it's done pretty well for me. But when, when you're stretched this far, stop losses, limit, limit your, set your limits, set your stop losses. Because it is way too much for you to be able to understand the market. Um, you know, it could open and it's down 20%. It could open and it's down 30%. You don't want to be caught in that. So you got to set your stop losses if you go that big. But that's the beauty about us three being on this show. We have so many different ways of doing things. Like uh, for me, it, it's more probable for me to have 50 positions on one stock than it is for me to have 50 different stock positions, if that makes sense. So what I kind of develop is a diversified portfolio. So when when I look into a brokerage uh, and I start set up my brokerage, uh, I, I build you know pockets of cash and I diversify a, a structure based on, let's say, dividend growth. I want this to be dividend growth. I want this to be uh, I want to take risks. So this is my speculative stocks and I'm going to do more options trading with this. I'm going to, you know, buy calls. I'm going to sell calls. I'm going to buy puts, sell puts, whatever the case might be. Um, and then you get your more conservative investments where you, you sort of look at ones that, you know, maybe maybe they don't necessarily offer a high level of dividend, but they're uh, cyclical stocks. And I think we mentioned cyclical stocks before in the past. Um, for those of you home gamers that are new to the stock market world, the cyclical stock would be um, much like your consumer good products. Uh, there's stocks that will be strong in, uh, in times when the sentiment is uh, bearish, uh, like times like these days. Uh, and I've, we'll, we'll get into detail uh, in just a bit, but uh, when we start to talk about our, our forward uh, future stocks of, of investments because um, for me I've developed quite a bit of them um, but I, I want to close out though as far as the the investments that we've done this week how how was it for you Patrick what did you look at this week 
Well, so what's interesting is that since we use a lot of options, usually uh, our investments go from one week to another. So, for example, when I called last week about uh, how I was going to invest in Hertz, you know, I was selling puts, but two weeks out. So right now it's already down to almost nothing. So I can close a position whenever I can. Um, so that's one thing that's been very profitable. But it's difficult to pinpoint like one specific day. It just depends on the market conditions. Like right now, something as simple as uh, the put is worth five cents per share. Uh, yeah, per share. So, but I can't close it for less than five cents. So do I want to close it and quote unquote lose $100 worth of profit or just let it run towards the expiration date and collect that extra $100? But in the meantime, I have that money outstanding that I can't use for other investments. And, you know, in theory, the stock could go back down a lot and then affect my position. So that's a that's a balance that you have to calculate that it's not easy. Like it's a, it can be an easy $100 profit or I can close it for safety. So we'll see what happens this week. For now, you know, I'm just letting it ride because it's you know, pretty safe. Um, so also, I just wanted to talk about AMC a little bit, give a quick update, because we talked about that last week and for a few weeks now. I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, one of the analyst companies downgraded it pretty severely from a $7 target to a $1 target, claiming that the company has high probability of going bankrupt or getting restructured. And that's exactly what we had been talking about. And I found that very, very interesting because remember how many times I, I rewatched the episode. And I was like, how many times did I say that they only had $250 million left, right? I kept saying it over and over again. Um, but what's interesting about that is that uh, there's, you know, how the government is trying to add in new stimulus on top of what we were already getting. And AMC, a lot of companies might get bailed out from those, but AMC doesn't qualify from right. the number from the criteria that I have at the moment. They don't qualify, so because they they had too much revenue last year, so they might not get bailed out. Well, what happens then? They already said that they weren't paying their uh, rent in April on any mm. of their theaters. So I feel like AMC, it, it, it went up significantly last week. I'm not exactly sure why. It went up back up to 350-ish. And then when they got downgraded, they got, uh, it went back down to 270-ish. Well, I think that there might be more meat on the bone to sh uh, short it next week. You know, hoping that there's going to be, well, hoping, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, hoping that there's going to be a bankruptcy and it's going to go, down even more of now, course for listeners work? we don't hope for any companies to go down but since we don't affect it you know we're just trading on it i hope everyone understands that now how does it work with a company if you have let's say that you have puts on a on a you know company like uh, amc and you know we we did you and i we both did a did a puts on amc which is interesting because at that time uh we had a support level and it was a strict support level that was not letting us trade lower than that. So basically 
the company structured or manipulated the stock from being able to expire profitable on a puts because the sentiment was that the stock was going down. Uh, and for, for those of you home gamers, the support level is what we would call the trough. Uh, so that's the low end the uh, floor. of the stock. The floor, right. So in, in this case, they go through the bankruptcy process. Does, are you able to sell out? Are you able to make money off of that? Or does it just not allow you to do that? Does it protect itself from being able to incur any losses? Or how does that work? So are you talking about if you buy puts or sell puts? If you own puts prior to uh, the announcement of a bankruptcy, can you still be able to make money off of that? Uh, I honestly haven't been in a case where the company went bankrupt, so I don't want to commit. But my understanding is that you always have the option. Like That's basically what you're buying is the option to sell at a specific price, correct? So. But Max, so you're, you're more you're more adept yeah, at you, that specific thing. So, are you able so, to sell off? Yeah, absolutely. So if you own the puts uh, and it goes down to zero, going through that bankruptcy process, you actually collect that full amount. Who's um, the counterparty? Yeah, I, I'm just interested. <laughs> well, so uh, I'm not really sure exactly how it works, but I do know that if you do own the puts goes all the way down to zero that you are getting paid off those puts now if you're a seller um that's actually uh that's a different story it's a little bit more complicated uh you only get to uh to operate on the the premium but if you're if you own the puts and it goes to zero you're a much better situation and you do get paid that full uh full investment return that's interesting i mean the only stock that i've ever been in that uh, went bankruptcy uh, was Linen Energy Group, and this is during the Obama administration when the it was uh, they're going heavy against pollution and all of the oil companies and everything. And this is a company that offered a pretty high dividend rate, and which is the reason why I jumped into this this company. But it got bought out. I think a Chinese uh, developer bought the, the com- or took over the assets of the company, and. Uh, but nonetheless, there's a restructuring that was created. So uh, oftentimes, if you if you see a stock that was once in the market, and then there's a queue at the end of it, um, that queue means that they're in the bankruptcy process. Just just for you know those who just started trading, um, I, I know that to be fact. But uh, you, you know you you incur lessons throughout the the stock world. So uh, yeah, that was one absolutely. of my bigger lessons. It's that, uh, it, it's that gut-checked feeling when you lose like a huge sum of money. I, I mean, if you're a trader and you haven't experienced that yet, where you lose like $4,000 or like 10000 and you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to stay out of the market for a week. <laughs> yeah. the, first time, can... the first time it happened, my stomach dropped, literally. Right, literally. Yeah. But once you get over that, then and, and once you stay into the market, and you learn that it's not it's not the value of how much you've lost or, or really how much you've gained. You gotta be practical with what you have and you gotta be mindful that everything is based off of the percent, not the actual dollar amount lost or gained. I think it's a fallacy when it comes to, a lot of people have that FOMO or uh, you know, not only just fear of missing out, but just, these fears when it comes to the stock market that they're just 
the fear of being able to lose money. I, I think it, as far as a in debt emotion and feeling the market, that's what I think people need to feel is feel the market with the percentage movements and not uh, looking at how much you lost or how much you gained, because that's where the yeah. true value comes from. That was a I deep think Patrick study. mentioned that uh, a couple episodes ago, or maybe last episode. But I did oh, want yeah. to go back to that AMC and say that you know, um, three days ago, uh, three trading days ago, you had a shooting star. No, I'm sorry, that's an evening star. Um, and so that's supposed to show that it's coming back down. And a couple days later, on on Thursday, you had a big um, red candle, which is a bearish engulfing pattern. That's another bearish sign. The problem that I see with it is that the bearish engulfing pattern is so large that it's almost um, it's ruining your risk reward because your top, what you would be risking up to is uh, up to $3.73 and your entry price would be at uh, $2.58. Uh, so that means what are you that looking you, at here? I'm looking at AMC right now. Oh, AMC. Okay. Um, and so if you're looking at the double bottom, that's going to be that strong floor, that support. Uh, that supports that 195 um, so you don't have a lot of wiggle room, but what I will say, you know, for Patrick and Everson that were interested in this stock is if it breaks that support, buy as many puts as you can, because there is nothing underneath that support to stop it. Um, so it's possible to get in, you know, on Monday with a few puts. It's just that that risk reward's not going to be too appealing. Um, I would wait for confirmation to break that support. So in my mind, it's more a matter of, like, I agree with everything you said, but it's more a matter of, do you believe it's they're going to go bankrupt or not? And that's a big thing. Because if they do, then it's going to drop significantly. And they don't really have much to back them up right now. Like, they don't have a... The CEO said that they could pay uh, their their debt when they have income. But the problem is they right now they don't have income. And no one knows when they're going to reopen. That's a big issue. I don't think that they can make it to like when the movie theaters go back to normal. So yeah, there's in theory there's that support, but if they go bankrupt, it's not going to matter. Well, well, let's look at our let's look at our analyst perspective, right? We have we have a lot of analysts saying that this is a a void or maybe even a sell. The street uh, recommends that this is a sell. But Credit Suzy recommends this as a neutral. New Constructions rate, rates this as a three out of five. Um, and we have CFRA uh, rating this as a four star, regardless of the circumstance. Um, I, I don't agree with them. <laughs> I agree with you guys on it. Uh, but, I mean, this AMC is offering an annual dividend yield at 4.62%. Why they haven't cut that dividend yet, I is beyond me um maybe they just you know playing with everything institutional holdings is at 93.15 percent uh maybe the institutions have something to agree on it i mean i don't know if they have some outside money that's feeling this so i think well, they're going to recover pretty fast uh just think about yourself as a, a a landlord right 
And so you're right. talking to AMC, and AMC is like, hey, you know what? We're going through these tough times. The entire country is going through these tough times right. because of this virus. Right. But in three to four months, we'll be back on track. We'll get the theaters full, and we are going to be a good tenant for you. If you right. if you get us out of here, then who are you going to replace us with? You know, and so there are theaters all across the country. AMC is one of the biggest uh, movie theater company. So as a landlord, I think you give them some leeway three to four months and you work with them because who are you going to replace them with? So I mean, Ernie, the only problem, I agree again, I agree with everything you're saying, but right now they're shopping for a bankruptcy law firm. Like they said that they were. So, you know, where you don't put any weight on that. I, so I do. All we've said I'm so far is <laughs> so all we've talked about so far is all the negative news is why it should go down, and so the majority is always wrong, right? So everyone feels the same way as you guys. I'm trying to see the silver lining. I'm trying to see why would it go up because anytime it gets down to that 193, 195 level, I mean that's a beautiful hammer uh, on March 17th. And then you have another hammer, which is a very uh, bullish sign on uh, April 3rd. So you have these bulls that truly believe that things can turn around. Um, So that's why I'm saying I would not go bearish mode. I would not buy puts until I see a break below the bulls where the bulls give up. When I look at this... Just to finish on that, after that you can talk. Um, I was just going to say that, again... You're totally right. It skyrocketed last week. But I think that's because people believed that they were going to get bailed out. When I look at the stock on Thursday, its performance was a terrible performance. We've seen a drop of 21.21%. That's a huge decline. If you were in the option at that that point, I think you would, you know, depending on where you bought in at, uh, I think you'd be looking at a, at a pretty good puts gain on that. Um, anytime you have a momentum trade of over 10% is usually a good sign. Um, I mean, I, I'd, I'd have to stay skeptical about it also because that was such a huge decline. Um, if I would play a put options on this, I'd probably play a, a put options going maybe about at least a month, a month out. I mean, it's like Max was saying, you know, it, it all depends on on the bonds back. When does the government open up again? You know, return business is normal. As soon as that's known, I think you can see an increase in, in performance and sectors all, of, all the way across the board. Um, but as far as now, I, I'd want to test this. Just like you said, Max, I would want to test the support levels again to see if it comes back. Because um, I think that AMC might see a bounce back after this. Uh, 93.15% held institutional funding. Uh, I mean, you, you just don't know. You, you, you just don't really know. So I would just, I would buy long. Uh, on a one-month chart, it's all over the place. So, you know, it's it's come down some. It's not at its lows uh, from the one month. Um, it's gone lower than this. So it's it's... In that area where it's testing support levels again, and I think that's what you meant, Max, is if it revisits that same support level that you yeah, would, it's in it's you, in the middle of a trading range. 
you know, right, so it, right. it just doesn't make sense to act on it right now. And you can see that if you take a look at a three month or even a two month chart, if you have that available, uh, I think it, you know, once in the beginning of April, it hit its low and right in the middle of March, it reached another low. So it's, it's a good stock to keep its eye on as far as uh, a puts, but it's dangerous because of the, the cycles that it takes, the business cycle that it takes. So it doesn't make sense sometimes to buy into a stock like this. But that's just the way institutional spending is. Not only that, but again, going with what you guys were saying earlier, is the fact that since everyone thinks it's going to go down, well, the puts are more expensive. So the risk versus reward is lower than when it was high. You know, last week when it was going up would have been the best time to buy those puts, not when it uh, went down 70 cents. Absolutely. I like where we were going with that. Um, oh, hey, so, let me, so last, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll go first and then just after that because it, <laughs> it ties in really well with what we were talking about earlier right. when you ask me the stocks that I added to my uh, watch list right that's my strategies right now I have AMC on my watch list so I keep okay. going looking at the ups and downs and trying to get a feel for it how it operates what's what are the news what are the financials and you're not going to know all of that on day one it takes a few months for you to get really well acclimated uh, you know to start learning about the stock yeah acclimated with the right. stock so right. that's why i like to do it i have my set of stocks that i follow and then i keep adding some and i don't necessarily open a position right. on day one just try to learn over time about it and then i act on it go ahead max sorry right so what I was going to say is if you want it to be a little bit more technical um, in terms of this trading channel, the support is is horizontal line. That's a strong support there. But that resistance is actually on a de- declining trend line. If you match, if you draw a line from the top on uh, March 25th, the top of that candle, and then you connect that line to the top of April 7th, that is actually a declining trend line. And right. so these two lines together, that resistance line and the support line, are creating a pennant, a downward pennant. Um, so you could actually see it go up and down, up and down for for quite some time because the pennant has plenty of room for it to go. And most of the time, in terms of percentages, it will exit that triangle the same direction that it entered, meaning so it actually dropped into that um that trading range. So therefore the probabilities are that it will exit out of that. Um, so the reason why I wouldn't go too bearish on it yet is because it still has plenty of time to go sideways and uh, consistently creating lower highs. And then one day it will break that support and that will be a great, um, great opportunity to buy some puts. This is sort of the reason why I say to, to go long. If you're doing puts on this, then it's just to go long. If you, uh, if you go short, you run the risk of being able to be um, choked out. Um, and then again, like like Max is saying, you don't know what the the average trade volume uh, for for ten days is about seven million. But if you got if you, you don't have a lot of people trading with that, you're not getting a lot of those zigzag patterns. So stay clear. Just leverage your risk carefully when you're looking at stocks like this. But uh, we we had a little bit of insight um, as far as Patrick's what he was saying about looking forward. This is the kind of stock that he's looking forward to how about for you max what are you looking forward to as far as next week what are you trading 
Uh, this week, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm still in oil. I, I did some fancy moves um, from Thursday, hoping for Monday in terms to accelerate my return on investment with U.S. oil. Um, okay. And so when Patrick said that oil is down 12%, it looks like I won't be able to maximize that, that uh, little move that I did. I actually don't even know what I call it. Uh, but I was just trying to accelerate it through the weekend, uh, that time decay. Uh, there are three main ways to invest in the market. The majority of the people will invest through um, Delta. And Delta is making money on the direction. So you're either hoping it goes up, hoping it goes down. Another way to make money is with Vega. And Vega stands for volatility. So there's specific ways that you can make money based on the up and down motion of the volatility. Right. Uh, the one that I actually, uh, that's my bread and butter is based off time decay, yeah. which is T, so theta. Uh, and so that's where I do a lot of my plays. And since this was a three-day weekend, uh, since Friday was a good Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I wanted to make sure I maximized the positions to have the, the maximum time decay over the weekend. Um, it's still too early to see what oil is going to be on Monday just because we don't have access to the futures as of yet. It's not Sunday night, um, but we'll see what happens and I'll have to make a couple of adjustments. So I won't have maximized that return on investment over the weekend, but it'll still be fun. Um, a few other things that I did over the, the past week um, is basically I, I knew that it was a three day weekend. So I created a bunch of positions where I was uh, selling time over the spy and a few other underlyings. And again, just to maximize the amount of uh, theta I would collect over the weekend. Um, but again, I, I steered cleared from the the closer you are to the strike price. Uh, I'm sorry, the current price, the more premium you get and the more theta you make. So you make more money. I actually try to be very conservative and I go far out of the money. Um, so those are the plays that I did uh, for last week. Coming this week, I'll probably have to make a few adjustments and uh, make sure that I accelerate that theta during the week and kind of keep an eye on what uh, what people are doing with USOS since that's the majority of my position. I started getting um, into uh, selling uh, calls and inputs because of you. Join uh, the dark just side. Un uh, just, just understanding that. So you're doing most of your trades within USO? Yes. Uh, so okay. the majority... Um, that's where I'm, I'm doing, you know, covered calls and a few things like that. Um, there's a few tricks where I'm accelerating my return on investment, but uh, that's just kind of leveraging which strike price I sell the calls at. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just a few games I play in my head to make it more exciting because uh, collecting theta is not very exciting. It's, it's a very boring game. It's very consistent. Um, it's not as sexy as what you're doing over there. Everson with, you know, <laughs> buying your, your calls and buying your puts. Um, the return on investment is a lot lower, but the reason why I'm addicted to this is, is just that consistency. And uh, I can't predict where a stock will be tomorrow, but I can predict that tomorrow will be Sunday and the day after that will be Monday. Okay, nice. How about for you, Patrick? Well, uh, Max is very... It's very interesting what he says because right now oil has thrown us some curveballs, uh, pretty yeah, big spikes right. and then pretty big drops. So we we're both playing it a little bit differently. Um, he, he he likes to stay in the money right now, and I try to 
anticipate what it's going to do. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm not right, and then it hurts more. But, you know, as he said, calls like that is being on the sell side is kind of predictable uh, in terms of cash flow. So right now we're in a cycle where oil isn't going up, so we're not, the net worth isn't going up, but we're collecting a lot of cash flow from it. So for example, I don't mind sharing my numbers. Like last week, just with oil, as far as cash flow, I made about $2,400. So the week before I had lost a little bit, but you know, over one month, I made a pretty significant amount of money just from selling those calls and letting them uh, go down with oil and then buying them back cheaper than what I sold them for. So it's just a fairly consistent uh, way of making money. And what I like to do is I have that part of my portfolio that's more like slow and steady. And then I use a smaller per, smaller part of my portfolio to do like the fancy moves like you do, Everson, and try to like, um, well, I usually sell the puts instead of like, I got that them. footwork. I learned footwork from uh, Matt last week. <laughs> but, you know, just that smaller part of the portfolio just to do these plays where hopefully I can make a little bit more extra money. That's great. Uh, I, I realized that I hadn't talked earlier on about what I've traded last week. So I'll go ahead and talk about what I've traded last week. And then I'll go into what I've determined to be trading next week. And then we can go with the, uh, the max hour. Um, as far as, some of the stocks that I've been looking at and I've traded last week or this week, rather uh, gold. I did gold. I did a day trade on gold was up 17% on gold. Uh, so pretty good numbers. Uh, PXI. I did a little bit of trading on PXI sold out of all of my positions of options on PXI for 291.67%. Um, I also sold out on OKE at 89.83%. So that's a week maybe a two-week uh, swing trade um, on those last two, the PXI and OKE. But I'll probably be a buyer of that, uh, well, depending on where I feel the, the market's going to go. Um, I may be a buyer of PXI uh, and OKE again, just knowing that I, I see how the momentum moves. Uh, so maybe in the opposite direction, maybe in the same direction. I don't know yet. Uh, but I like energy. I like utilities. I think we can we can go higher from here on those, uh, and I'm liking what I see in the commodity sector. You know, gold and silver. I know Max, you're a big buyer of um, of silver. Uh, I think Snapchat has a little bit of growth from here, just a little bit, maybe about fourteen dollars per share, fifteen dollars per share. Uh, but I don't think that it goes any higher than than that, and I I, I think that we get a pullback uh, on that. Uh, as far as Budweiser. I mean, people are at home, you're going to want to drink. I mean, Budweiser's been beat down enough. We're starting to see it come back. So I may be a little bullish on Budweiser, uh, but we may see see some sidestepping. So uh, mm -hmm. we got to get into the boxing ring and, and see that. But that's what I'm looking at moving forward. Uh, we'll close with the uh, max hour. What do you? What does the index tell you for last week? I know that, or next week, I know that this week uh, we, we had a miss. Well, who, who knew, right? I mean, we had four straight days of just the Bulls just came out to play. <laughs> yeah, the Bulls were tired of, the, of playing sideways. And I think last <laughs> week we talked about two boxers hugging, just trying to get a breath. 
But it looks like the Bulls was like, hey, we're, we're done with this timeout. Let's go. Um, so we definitely broke out of that, that sideways trading channel. And what's interesting is looking at the SPY, again, that's where I do the start of my research. If you connect, if you draw a trend line and you connect the bottom on March 23rd, the bottom on April 2nd, you can see that we're forming higher lows and the opposite is true as well, where if you uh, have a, a, a trend line, uh, March 26th and all the way up to April 9th, you can see that now we're, we're creating a uh, upward channel. I hate creating uh, supporting resistant lines um, diagonally. I always like to create them um, horizontally. The reason is because if you asked 100 people to draw trend lines, they would draw it all over the place. That's right. a big reason why I like to do horizontal lines. But just for what's happening right now, I sort of want to see what other traders around the world are seeing. And you can definitely see that we are an upwards channel. Now, the last candle that we did on Thursday, uh, it's something that you call uh, in Japanese uh, candlesticks, um, spinning top, basically. It's not quite a doji, it's a spinning top. And so you can see that the market has uh, has gone up tremendously. We've we've gone up um, out of this uh, sideways channel, but now do we have enough energy to keep moving up? And if you uh, draw a horizontal line on uh, February 28th at the bottom, all the way across, that's what I believe will be our next uh, obstacle to keep moving up. Um, looking at the spinning top, it's almost right at that um, resistance line. So I feel like that's where the next battle will be, which will be very interesting. Um, the big reason I think that the market's gone up tremendously since uh, March 23rd, we've gone into that upwards uh, trading channel, is because there's so much money being poured into the market. And right. so just because we are back at the level um, on the SPY, we are at 278 I believe just because we're back at those levels it doesn't mean it's the same value as March 11th when we were about uh, at 274 at the low 278 at the top it, they're not the same numbers why because of that inflation that we're creating in the market so even though you had a bad stock that value went up as well the stock price went up as well just because uh, when the tide rises, all boats go up. So you can't call them apples to apples. You have to factor in the inflation rate and a change in purchasing power. So th I think that's a big reason why we're going up. Another reason is because a lot of countries are showing a decline in their cases. Uh, so that's positive news. It's right. going to be, uh, we're, we're going to get more positive news from this point forward than we are going to get negative news. Right. And uh, in terms of entry points, since we're almost up to that 286 horizontal uh, resistance that I talked about, it might not be a good time to buy your positions. I would sort of wait for it to retrace back down to a 263 uh, on the SPY. And if it starts turning back up, that would be a great entry point um, in this upward channel. Other than that, uh, you can see 
you know, you can make a case for both directions. You can say that the Bulls are winning right now. They've broken out of that um, that channel. But if you look at the volume since, let's see, to be exact, since March 23rd, look at the volume all the way until today, and you can consistently see a decline in volume. So less people are getting into the market. So that would be bearish news. So we'll see what we do uh, at that 286 level. I feel like we have a couple of days until we hit that. Maybe by Tuesday, midday, we'll, we hit that 286. And I think we're going to retrace down uh, to that 263. I think this week, um, the Bears are going to win it 3-2. Uh, to two. It's going to be a retracement week. Um, but I think uh, it's going to be more important what we do after that retracement next week. So we had we had last week the uh, the range for the support level and the resistance level was set at 243 um, and the resistance level at 263. You've created a new base uh, of your support level, which is the old resistance level at 263 with a resistance level of now uh, 286. 286.16, yeah, 286. 286, okay. And then as far as the uh, the days, how many bulls, how many bears? Uh, three bears and two bulls. Uh, just because we're so close to that next support, and there's plenty of room for us to retrace. Uh, at this point, the likeliness of having a dead cat bounce has gone down all the way to, you know, maybe 10%. But if uh, we can't break above that 286 anytime soon, um, and then we retrace all the way back down to that 219, you could say that uh, you know it would be an awkward uh, dead cat bounce. Um, so the battle next week and the week after that uh, will basically dictate where the market will go. But again, I mean, there's so much money thrown at the market that uh, right. even the bad stocks are going up just based on that rising tide. Well, I say based on that, I I give it a two bear, three bulls. What do you say, Patrick? Do you want to challenge? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to call that. But I the question is, are they going to run out of steam? Like last week right. saw a pretty big spike. Right. And as we right. keep talking about, sometimes like they run out of steam and then it goes the other way. So right. it would make sense that it might go down this week, especially since the market right now is so quote unquote irrational. And right. just, we talked a little bit about um, the housing market earlier. My friend Derek has bought a lot of REITs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that makes very little sense why they're gone up so much in the past week when all of the statistics show that it, it's not a good time for the REITs. For example, I was reading that in the apartment complexes, only 69% of the tenants paid for their uh, rent in April so far. That's not good at all for the REITs, right? And yeah. at the same time, if we're talking about all the businesses that won't pay their rent for commercial space and the offices that are sitting empty right now, well, what, how would that justify an increase in of 20% for REITs in the past week? But right. That's my point. Yeah. That's my point. There's just so much money flowing in that even the bad opportunities are going up. Yeah, but 
the point is that it should run out of steam. Like at some point, that money is all going to have been poured in, and then there should be a retracement. Right. Well, we have That's to what save I'm this conversation for. for later. Uh, we've run out of time on our podcast, so stay tuned for next week where we will talk about a new analogy. And uh, I think we got Max as our uh, a host, but uh, I am Everson, your host for this podcast week. It's been a pleasure meeting with you guys again. Uh, hope we do this again next week. But, make sure uh, you subscribe. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Cut, uh, send a comment uh, below. Um, so I'm your host, Everson. We got Max and Patrick as your two traders.